Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Um, We had a great time last week, last Sunday, didn't we? It's it's a wonderful and amazing thing when churches get together, when different entities of churches get together. We're all the same. But that, that was good. That was good. And I pray that more of that happens in this city. Um, I asked myself after that, where do we go from unity? That was the theme of the day. Where do we go from unity? And uh, I felt like I kept, kept hearing unity with God. You know, we talked about unity amongst the church and between the church. And, and so I kept thinking, where do we need to go? What do we need to make sure of? And I kept hearing unity with God. Unity with God. Unity with me, he kept telling me. And I need more of that. I don't know about you all, but I need more unity with God. I, I need, you know, as, as I learn more about this life and, and that Jesus that gave everything for me, I know I need more unity with my God. And uh, as I prayed about that and as I thought about that, uh, more and more I felt like I needed to touch upon commitment to God. And so that's what I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about tonight. It it won't be very long. Um, I want to start out by reading 1 Kings 8.61. And 1 Kings 8.61 says, But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by His decrees and obey His commands as at this time. You know, we live in a, in a world, and from the very begin, beginning, we've been a part of a sometimes vicious cycle. And that vicious cycle of living, boy, I'm rattling. Is it windy in here? <laughs> Something's loose. <laughs> we get caught, from the very beginning, we've been caught in a, in a vicious cycle of living. And that vicious cycle is a circle. I think it's up there somewhere. I think it's up there somewhere. There it is. Where we, we, we accept Jesus into our life, and we, we get to experience and start learning the wonderful path of serving God. But then, the enemy gets us just to step a little bit off the path. He gets us to deviate just a little bit off the, the path that God has ordained for us and then because we've stepped off a little and we've stepped off a little and we've stepped off a little we find ourselves in a cage we've become enslaved by that sin that we just stepped a little off the path and a little off the path and a little off the path and oh this is just a little step it won't hurt anything this is just a little thing A little thing, nobody will know about it. I'll be the only one that knows about it. But then before we know it, we're in a cage. We are in a cage, literally, that has us uh, stuck. We can't move. And then we get really sorry about that sin. We become really sorry. The guilt hits, usually. And we just... We go to God and we say, God, I know what I've been doing is wrong. I know it. Your word tells me that it's wrong. Your Holy Spirit inside of me let me know it was wrong. So God, forgive me, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. I come back to you, God. On behalf of that that Jesus that gave his life for me. And then we're saved from that sin. You know, that, that's the wonderful thing. Boy, I might just throw this thing away. 
that's the wonderful thing about Jesus and, and our merciful God is we're saved from that sin then. It's no more. No more. And as we start out tonight talking about commitment, I just want to, I want to remind you that sin does not pay. Even if it's the tiniest, littlest, most inconsequential thing you could possibly dream or imagine or think about or, or let into your life, sin does not pay. It will gobble you up. It will be like, like that pit that opened up a week or so ago and swallowed up that police car. Only it won't let you back out if it can help it. So remember that. It's going to rise up. It's going to swallow you up. It's going to trip you up. It's going to wipe you out. It's going to do everything to kill you. So now let's talk about commitment to God. I'm not sure if that's the right transition to make, but we're going to read from Judges. I read through Judges about a year ago, and, and there are some fascinating stories in there. And there was a story that I, that I believe when I read it a year or so ago, I thought, well, how could that be? And then I just threw it off and didn't think anything about it until, until I began studying again, going back through. And, and there, are some, there are some marvelous examples of heroes in the book of Judges. And judges, as used, didn't necessarily mean that they were there to judge the people, but they were there to deliver them. So when you see the word judges, it's translated deliverer. We're going to read from Judges 11. And I didn't really notice it until I, I, I was finishing up, but, but this has a nice little Father's Day theme to it also. Judges 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah, and they went out with him. Now, isn't this just the way it always happens with God? He picks someone that you would never dream in a million years would become a deliverer. And Jephthah was born to a harlot, a prostitute, which was one strike against him in that culture. Because if you came from a woman like that, you were dirt, you were a dog, you were nothing in culture, you were nothing in society. And so then these other sons came along from the different mother, and they kicked him out. They probably bullied him like crazy. They drove him away. And so he went to the land of Tob. And if you don't know anything about Tob, it was a land uh, that you could compare, let's say, to the hole in the wall that we used to have here in Wyoming where all the gang members would go, all of the ragtag western gunfighters would gather, uh, they'd rob a bank, they'd go to the hole in the wall, and then they'd hide out from the coppers until things died down. Well, Tob was like that. The meanest, roughest, wildest, craziest men that existed in the time lived in the land of Tob. So that's where Jephthah went. And it says here, the worthless fellows gathered themselves about him and they went out with him. So they became a gang. If you can picture them, they probably started hanging out, robbing, pillaging, doing whatever, beating people up, terrorizing. I don't know. I would suppose if, if that's the... Uh, if that's the moniker that Tob had, that that's what they were doing. And then beginning back in verse 4. It came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. 
When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief, that we may fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him the head and chief over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzvah. So the only thing he wanted was, hey, you want me to risk my life? You want me to come back? The odds were probably against the Israelites. You want me to come back and lead the army after you kicked me out of my house many years ago? And the only thing I wanted was that you make me the head over the people. And I, I think there was some wisdom in Jephthah in that, you know, if I come back and if I teach your guys how to fight and you win the battle, the, there's probably going to be something bad that's going to happen to me after the fact because you will have used me up and then you will spit me out. So I can already see some wisdom in, in Jephthah there. Okay, uh, make me the head of your people and I'll do it. Saving his skin for later. So jumping to verse 12. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the sons of Ammon, saying, What is between you and me, that you have come to, to fight against my land? The king of the sons of Ammon said to the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up from Egypt, from the Arnon, as far as the Jabbok and the Jordan, therefore return them peaceably now. But Jephthah sent messengers again to the king of the sons of Ammon, and they said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the sons of Ammon. For when they came up from Egypt, and Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they also sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they went through the wilderness and around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab. And they camped beyond the Arnon, but they did not enter the territory of Moab. For the Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people and camped in Jahaz and fought with Israel. The Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated him. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. So they possessed all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and from the wilderness as far as the Jordan. Since now the Lord, the God of Israel, drove out the Amorites from before his people Israel, are you then to possess it? Do you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God has driven out before us, we will possess it. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive with Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Eror and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? I, therefore, have not sinned against you. 
but you are doing me wrong by making war against me. May the Lord the judge judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. But the king of the sons of Ammon disregarded the message which Jephthah sent him. And I'm going to stop, stop before verse 29 there. But we see here, first of all, he tries the diplomatic measure. King, king, what are you doing? 300 years. We never really messed with you unless we were provoked. You know, you're saying we crossed through your land. Oh, no, we went out of our way to go around your land. And, and then there were other kings that, didn't, that we asked if we could cross their land to stay away from yours. And they wouldn't let us do it. They provoked us into battle. And so I'm telling you, kind king, why don't you keep what your God, Chemosh, has given you? And we will keep what our God has given us. And then verse 29 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. I might try to remember to say that verse more as I go through this. I love that. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, then he passed through Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead, he went on to the sons of Ammon. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Remember that. Remember the placing of this. Verse 30. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's. And I, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter from Eror to the entrance of Mineth, twenty cities. And as far as Abel Keremim, so the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mitzpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter! You have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. Then he said, Go. So he sent her away for two months, and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made. And she had no relations with a man. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Let's look at the vow itself. How's that for commitment? God, whatever walks out of my house, you got it. Now, I read both sides of this fence. And I think a year ago, the only side I really saw was the side that said, yeah, he burned his daughter. He sacrificed her just as he said he would. But as I studied it and I searched and I read and I prayed this go around, I read these verses and some of the different translations, and there are some things that, that changed my mind regarding that. Up in verse 31 when it says, Then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house, the original translation was whatever and whoever. So, what or who? And then a little later it says, It shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up. Well, the original letter 
that was translated to me and actually meant or more times than it meant and. So you could read that to be, it shall be the Lord's or I will offer it up as a burnt offering. But then I go back to that verse that says, now the Spirit of the Lord moved upon Jephthah. I think he knew. I think once the Spirit of the Lord moved into him, he had an idea that he was going to have to pay a huge sacrifice. Now, did he know his, that his daughter was going to come out dancing and that she was going to be the one? I'm not so sure about that. But either way, fathers, when we, when we sacrifice something we love, our children... Our wives, someone close to us, does it matter whether it's our daughter or our son or our wife? No. He made the sacrifice. And then later down in verse 40, when it says commemorate, the word that was translated to mean commemorate actually meant that the daughters got together with Jephthah's daughter every year to join her for that four days of remembering the sacrifice that they had made. So that would mean that she was still alive. So take it for what it's worth, whatever you believe the Holy Spirit tells you. But I believe the Holy Spirit has led me to believe that, that she sacrificed the fact that she would never marry, that she would never have children, and that Jephthah would never have anyone to carry on his line any farther. And back then, folks, that was the largest sacrifice, one of the largest sacrifices that could be made. No lineage. Nobody to carry my family down the line. How did Jephthah react? No! Not you! Rip! But it didn't change anything. How, how do you think the conversation went between Jephthah and God? <laughs> Look, God, you and I were the only ones around when I made that vow. Could you just let me out of it this once? I mean, we won. We won the war. Or, uh, God, I know how you... How you look down upon uh, human sacrifice. So, uh, could you just kind of erase this one for me? Please. Lord, she's the only one to pass down my family line. Can you look beyond it? But no. Jephthah said, no, daughter. I made this vow. And it tears me up inside. Because you were the one that came out. So you are the one that must, must fulfill this vow. And what did she say? Father, you made the vow to our Lord. We must do this. We must do this. And then there will be the question, did he or didn't he? In Hebrews 11, verse 32, this is what they call the, the, the wall of faith or the hall of faith or the hall of fame for the Bible. But anyway, this is what it says. And what more shall I say? For, the, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. And then most of all, down in verse 38, men of whom the world was not worthy. I think if Jephthah had, Jephthah had sacrificed his daughter by burning her at the stake, he would have dishonored God. Because it was given early, at an earlier time that God would not put up with human sacrifice. 
Or in Psalm 15, I think this is an, another area that, that points to the heroic act. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He does these things. He who does these things will never be shaken. Or another translation says, or will never be moved. God says we can be immovable. For those of you that we, we switch things up a little tonight, so we're going to talk for a bit and then we're going to worship and do communion. Uh, but as we do that, and things are kind of funky this week, I think some of you agree with that, there, there is a great party happening in heaven and a higher plane and a greater place. But anyway, remember too, Ramadan started this week. So if there are things happening, we come against them in the name of Jesus. God says we can be immovable. We who walk with integrity and work righteousness and speak truth in our hearts. I think this is where we're having troubles individually and corporately. We're not committing. We're either not committing to God or we're not keeping our commitments to ourselves and to our loved ones. And my thought was, how can we expect to be in unity with each other if we can't be in unity with God? You know, God made some incredible heroes all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. You know, Mary poured everything she had on the feet of Jesus. What an unlikely hero. Or, or, or the woman that gave everything she had in the two coins. Or, or everyone who gave of their lives. Gideon gave everything. They risked everything to, to be heroes for the Lord. That was commitment. You know, there are people making those same commitments around the world today. And we're seeing them beheaded. We're seeing them burnt at the cross. Or shot, ravaged physically. God loves sacrificial commitment. God loves it. And so I got to praying about that and thinking about that. And in reality, I guess I could say God doesn't love me all that much then. What am I committing to sacrificially? How can I look at the people around the world where these things are, are happening to them and I'm living in relative comfort with a bounty of food and clothing and shelter? What does my Lord think about my lack of sacrificial commitment? And even Jesus had something to say about in Luke 9, starting in verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And what Jesus was saying is there's a huge price to pay. If you want to follow me, there is a huge price to pay. Now, he said it pretty mildly by saying, you won't have a place to lay your head. 
or sleeping won't be comfortable. Because what his followers would realize is there was a huge price to pay. And I don't, I don't know how many of you have been watching A.D., the Bible continues. But, you know, I can get past all the Hollywood things that are in there. And it excites me to see how the, how the disciples may have acted and reacted once the Holy Spirit came upon them. It excites me to see the man who's portraying uh, Saul, who's turned to Paul. He's saying, you know, to heck with the church, we've got to go out and do it. And you, know, you can see it in his body. He's saying it's not about a building anymore. Jesus is here. You saw Him. You lived with Him. We've got to go do it. And then he goes to the synagogue. Boom, 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 boom. You know, that's commitment. You know, sometimes we, you know, in our prayers and our family times, Marty and I, we, we look at each other and we go, well, this is probably what, probably what Jesus meant when He said, I did not come to bring peace. I came wielding a sword. And you know what? There are going to be people you love that don't like you, don't agree with you, don't want to have anything to do with you because of me. And we deal with that. <laughs> we deal with that. And as painful as it may be, there is a reassurance. There is a reassurance that there is some sacrifice in that. And that, as Marty reminds me often, our focus is on Jesus. We can't be led to one side or the other. We can't let one step get off the path because our focus is on Jesus. Now, I, I know things are difficult. Boy, I, I love all of you. I, I, I talk to most of you. And life is tough. Not getting any tougher or not getting any easier. It is getting tougher. And, and you know what? You don't have to jump into that, that thing called commitment all out, all in. Just pick something. Pick a little C something. Commit to it. My life is hugely different from what it was 10, 15 years ago. I think I figured up at one time that in 18 years, the time that I spent rehearsing plays, directing plays, performing plays, uh, totaled to up to almost two years of time in 18 years. And so when I realized that, and God was kind of slapping me upside the head saying, I want you to work for me. I want you to do what I want you to do now. And I realized that all that time wasted where did it go what was it for it was for me which is personally why I can't really ever get up on a stage again unless it's to glorify God I only want to tell people about Jesus. I only want to be able to lay hands on people and say there is hope. You know, all that news crap and stuff you read all week long, it really doesn't mean anything. There's a greater plan. And you know what? My smile is real. Because for the first time in my life... I know what joy is. Joy resides in the hope and the faith and the love that, that I see in family and friends and people who love God and want to jump all in. That's where it's at. 
commitment. Just start little C. Pick out something and jump in. <laughs> It'll grow. It'll grow. For those of you who are mature followers, you know how you've grown. You know how that little C grew into big C, into wow, things are different. Wow, I don't have to turn the TV on. Wow. <coughs> I don't have to I don't have to play football. Wow, I don't have to follow my favorite football team. Wow. I don't have to eat all that junk food I used to eat. <laughs> Still a battle. But you know what? Little C. Little C. Loving friends, family. It helps the C get larger. Until it's big commitment. Until you get to the place where you don't want anything but going after Jesus. You don't want anything but God, I have a few minutes here, let's talk. Oh, thanks for letting me have a moment of rest. God, would you just hold me? There's nothing like getting to a place where you can do that. There's nothing like getting to a place of commitment where you hear pain, you sense pain, and you go for it. You know what? There's no reason for you to be hurting the way you're hurting. Because Jesus loves you. And we love you. And you know what? I, I know I'm an odd duck. But we love you. Then in verse 59, the next one, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as far as you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And you know why Jesus said that? Because if you're plowing, and I only know this because I've made feeble attempts at plowing. If you're plowing and you look back, that's what your straight line looks like. And so Jesus was saying, you know, if you want to follow me, you can't look back. You cannot look back or you'll deviate. You'll get a little off to the right. You'll get a little off to the left. And then remember that vicious cycle we saw early on? Just that little sin gets you off. Then it becomes a little bigger, it becomes a little bigger, and then you're enslaved. I guarantee you, as you, as you begin committing, as you begin really giving it everything you have, God, I love getting up at 4.30 a.m. And, and you and I watching the sun come up uh, and singing worship songs together. You know, as you do that, as you worship and you pray, as that big sea grows, you'll realize that you're not getting anywhere near that cage. You're no longer getting anywhere near that cage of sin that was enslaving you. It changes. God helps you change. <clears throat> well, he was dead, um, probably insinuating that that he was not a man. He was not a man of God, or was not a, a person of Jesus. So he died to everyone, and and Jesus is saying. You let the dead who have no hope bury their dead. I have hope. I have something that will raise people from the dead. So I believe that's what he's saying there. Yes. He was dead. He was gone. There's nothing there anymore. 
Nothing there anymore. I found a couple stories of commitment that I wanted to read to you. This one is from 1986. And it amazes me how God is the same yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow. But this appeared in Preaching Magazine. And it says, A number of years ago, Norman Cousins wrote an editorial in Saturday Review in which he reported a conversation he had on a trip in India. He was talking with a Hindu priest named Satish Prasad. The man said he wanted to come to our country to work as a missionary among the Americans. Cousins assumed that he meant that he wanted to convert Americans to the Hindu religion. But when asked, Satish Prasad said, Oh no, I would like to convert them to the Christian religion. Christianity cannot survive in the abstract. It needs not membership, but believers. The people of your country may claim they believe in Christ, but from what I read at this distance, Christianity is more accustomed than anything else. I would ask that either you accept the teachings of Hesu in your everyday life and in your affairs as a nation, or stop invoking his name as sanction for everything you do. He said, I want to help save Christianity for the Christian. Or the Russian exile who said, in Russia, Christians are tested by hardship. But in America, you are tested by freedom. And testing by freedom is much harder. Nobody pressures you about your religion. So you relax and are not so concentrated on Christ, on his teaching, how he wants you to live. Or the, missionary, uh, the missionary's quote that said, A missionary society wrote to David Livingston and asked, Have you ever found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. Livingston wrote back, If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. I think it, it only fitting that Pastor Jay, the last few weeks, he ends his email to everybody. And I think it was this week he spoke about uh, Daniel. And, and I did a study on Daniel a little over a year ago. And, and I found a, a guy who had an outline for the book that, that really stuck with me. And, and he gave seven characteristics that Daniel showed throughout that book of Daniel that proved that he was a true man of God, a committed man of God. And the first characteristic is, do you possess an extraordinary spirit? <laughs> do you possess the Holy Spirit? When you walk into a room, do people just automatically know you have the Holy Spirit in you? Characteristic two. The people have within them no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. First Timothy says, above reproach. Is there anything in your life right now that people can point to that is immoral? Contradictory to this? Or just plain wrong? Are you guilty? If you look up blameless, free from blame in the dictionary, the next word after it is blameworthy, deserving blame. Characteristic three, are you faithful? Are you full of faith? Now I get it. I'm just like each and every one of you. Sometimes I'm low. Sometimes I low, I'm low and I cry out, God! How can I possibly have any more faith? And he never fails. He always reaches down and says, Get up. You'll be okay. Now get back in the fight. Then he hits me upside the head as I take off again. (laughs) 
The next characteristic, do we live according to God's Word? All Daniel had was the first five books of the Bible. And that's how he lived. That's what he adhered to. He studied the Scripture and he was living it out. He was completely obedient to it. In Hebrews it said you need to fellowship. Acts said be a witness everywhere. Ephesians says be a minister. Philippians says be considerate of others' needs before your own. Malachi says tithe or give. Are you doing it? You know, the exciting thing, the more and more I I study and I absorb and I dive in, the exciting thing I realize is it is possible. It is possible the more commitment, the bigger that seed grows, the better I can follow God's directions. The next characteristic, pray continually despite the consequences. Pray without ceasing. How important that is in our day. The next one, are, are you under God's hand of protection? Does this mean we'll never be hurt? Does this mean that we'll never be disappointed? <laughs> Does this give me freedom to place myself in danger's way? No. All of those things are going to happen. But you know what? When you see people who are going through trials and tribulations, and you know that that they can fulfill all of those first characteristics for the most part, you know that they are a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And then finally, characteristic seven, affect others with your commitment. How many of us walk into another room and people go, okay, yeah, yeah. Count me in. What were you doing now? (laughs) Ah, I want what they have. Oh. Ha (laughs) ha. Sign me up. The seven characteristics of a committed follower of Christ. Now don't get me wrong. Commitment is a lifetime of choices. Commitment, I can't even count how many choices it's going to be in a day. It's going to start with how early do you get up? What do you do first thing after you get up? What do you, what do you eat after you get up? Who's the first one you praise after you get up? Who do you go to after that? Do I take a nap or go sit with God and worship and pray? God, what do you want me to do after that? Father, what do you want me to do after that? Okay, that was fun, God. Now what do we do? Lord, that was incredible. Let's do some more. Commitment cures complacency. If you can go all out, start committing, start following through, You won't be bored. I guarantee you, you won't be bored. You won't be complacent. You will start putting away the things of the world. And you'll be living in a more exciting way than you ever dreamed. Commitment rewards eternally. Everything we're doing, everything we're giving, committing over and over. Jesus is taking it and He's saying, okay, I'm going to keep it for you. And then when you're here, and I say, well done, good and faithful servant, I'm going to give it all back to you. And it's going to be so much more than you ever expected. Commitment is the required response to Christ Jesus. Did Jesus just go half in? No. Does He want us just to go half in? No. 
we must fully commit to Jesus. We must fully say, Christ, I am nothing. Thank you. I am nothing. God bless you. And Jesus, you are everything. Jesus, you, you must be everything. You must be the reason why I eat, the reason why I sleep. You must be the reason why I want to love people. You must be the reason why I cry when I see what's happening around me. You must be the reason, Jesus, for everything. Jesus, you must be the reason I'm out in this hot sun planting garden, weeding. You must be the reason, Jesus. Jesus, you must be the reason that that we're in this heat and, and we're serving others. Jesus, you must be the only reason. And when we commit to Christ totally, I think we need to commit to communion. There is a transformation that takes place through communion. I firmly believe that. I have experienced it. And I want it. I want it more and more. I believe the Word says that there is a transformation. Not only through the blood that Jesus shed. But commemorating that blood and that body. We must commit and keep. And if we go back to that cycle, the cycle looks much better now. We can stop before we give in to sin. We can stop. Because at every step of that cycle, we are committed to Jesus Christ. We are committed to our Lord God. And we know that that cage has been pushed somewhere far, far away. And we will never, ever again be enslaved in it. If the worship team would come up and start getting ready, I, I have one story that I'd like to end with. <clears throat> As we start worshiping tonight, I would just ask each and every one of us to, to commit. Let the Holy Spirit, and I'll pray this after this story, but we're going to pray that the Lord would reveal to each and every one of us something we can commit. For some of you, it will be small, and that's great. Small will get bigger. But small will change. You may have heard this story, but it's about a, a, a house church in the former Soviet Union. They received a, go a copy of the Gospel of Luke. Since it was illegal to possess this scripture, they tore it up into little pieces and distributed it among the body of believers. Their plan was to memorize the portion they had been given, then on the next Lord's Day, they would meet and redistribute the sections. On Sunday, these believers arrived inconspicuously in small groups throughout the day so as not to arouse the suspicion of KGB informers. By dusk, they were all safely inside, windows closed and doors locked. They began by singing a hymn quietly but with deep emotion. Suddenly, the door was pushed open and in walked two soldiers with loaded automatic weapons at the ready. One shouted, all right, everybody line up against the wall. If you wish to renounce your commitment to Jesus Christ, leave now. Two or three quickly left, then another. 
After a few more seconds, two more. This is your last chance. Either turn against your faith in Christ, he ordered, or stay and suffer the consequences. Another left. Finally, two more in embarrassed silence, their faces covered, slipped out into the night. No one else moved. Parents with small children trembling beside them looked down reassuringly. They fully expected to be gunned down or, at best, to be imprisoned. After a few moments of complete silence, the other soldier closed the door, looked back at those who stood against the wall and said, Keep your hands up. But this time, in praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we too are Christians. We were sent to another house church several weeks ago to a group of believers. And the other soldier interrupted, but instead we were converted. We have learned by experience, however, that unless people are willing to die for their faith, they cannot fully be trusted. Can we do that? I truly believe we're headed that direction. I truly believe that unless we are prepared to give up our lives for Christ, nothing else will matter. Now I have a... I think I can maybe share this. Daria? Can I share your word? I guess that's a yes. <laughs> About a week ago, I came to my desk and there was a note there and it said, uh, word from God, or God spoke to me and the date. And it said two things. It said, God told me today that I will be persecuted for my love for Him. And the second thing it said is, I will go through and endure hardships because I love Jesus Christ. Fathers and mothers, we have to make a big commitment. We have to commit our children to Jesus Christ. We have to commit our children to God. And we have to tell God, you know what, God, they are yours. As much as I love them, it is far better for you to take care of them than for me to take care of them. Are you prepared to die? The good thing is, the Word says I must die each day. And I would urge you, to begin each day, go to God and say, God, how can I die to you today? How can I die for you so that myself is gone? Show me, Lord, because nothing else will matter. If you want prayer for commitment, after we get done Worshiping, the, the band will still continue to play and, and the prayer team folks will come up. And if you, if you want help to be led in a prayer to committing something to God, come down. I would urge you all not to leave here if you're not prepared to commit. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, Tonight is a beautiful night. I don't know if I've ever seen a more perfect night for realizing that, yeah, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But I want to change. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we ask you right now in the name of Jesus to put some form of commitment into, into each and every person who is here tonight. That that commitment would be related to you, God. It would be directed to you. It would be in your Son, Jesus. And that it would change lives. 
And that that little commitment, if it is little, God would turn into a big commitment. That from this room, there would be people who are ready to, to storm Cheyenne, Wyoming for the sake of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So Father, touch your people here right now. Tell them what you want them to hear. Show them the area that you want them to commit to. And let it all be, God, for your glory, not for our glory. Because, Lord, you are the glorious one. And we give you everything. We commit to you, God, everything. In the name of Jesus our Lord in Christ.